podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the Church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work at pcaac.org. This is Gifts and Graces. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear Pastor Jason Halopoulos speak about the discipline of family worship. Jason is an ordained minister who currently serves as senior pastor at University Reformed Church in East Lansing, Michigan. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2014 General Assembly. Let's listen to Jason as he speaks on family worship. All right, this uh, seminar is on family worship. I'm uh, Jason Halopoulos, uh, teaching elder in the PCA. If you are uh, looking for a different seminar or you think I'm not good looking enough, uh, you can get up and leave uh, and uh, find something else. Uh, not going to hurt my feelings. Um, wanted to do a little seminar on family worship. I wanted to approach it a little differently. Um, I was talking with a brother here before uh, we started. As uh, I wrote a book on the subject, and as I've started to go around and talk at different churches or meet with different people, um, it seems it's pretty easy uh, for people to grasp the theological, uh, the biblical argument rationale. Um, what they really struggle with, it seems like, the people in our churches is... Uh, what to do with it, and uh, the weight that they feel with it, or how to implement it based upon their own family situation. So my hope is uh, that we will go through uh, quickly kind of the theological, biblical foundation for family worship. And then what I want to do is spend um, some time just talking about practical advice uh, about how you can pastor your people as uh, elders and as pastors and uh, then hopefully we'll have time to open it up to the floor for uh, any questions that uh, you want to wrestle with together. And we've got a multitude of counselors here that we can do it together. So, so we'll start with that. Uh, as I think about uh, how do we approach family worship, I, I think the, the first place to start is to ask, what, what, what is that initial question? What is the crucial issue uh, of this generation? And I think people have a lot of different answers to that. Uh, they may say it's the spread of the AIDS pandemic, or uh, some people think it is global warming, and other people will say, well, it's the um, failure of morality in Western culture in our day and age. It's the dissolution of the family, and we see rampant divorce, and uh, we see cohabitation, and we see marriage redefined. And uh, we could take any of those things, and we could say they are a crucial. Uh, issue of our generation, uh, but they are not the crucial issue of our generation. The crucial issue for our generation is the same it's been for every single generation that has come before us. 
going all the way back to the garden, to the present day, it's the same crucial question. And that is, what will men worship? And I think that's where we have to start when we talk about family worship. I think what I would suggest to you this afternoon is that we have two primary responsibilities related to this crucial issue. The first is that we must live a life of worship unto God. Uh, That is one of the things that we must do. The second is, is that we must pass on this life of worship to the following generation. So if that is the crucial question of our generation, as it has been for every other generation, then we want to make sure that we are living lives of worship unto God, and we want to make sure, uh, by God's grace, that we are passing on this life of worship to the generation that follows after us. Think about men and women in our culture and in our place and frankly all over the earth that they will search high and low to find uh, their uh, reason for being or their raison d'etre and they will spend earthly fortunes to travel to the ends of the earth uh, to find something there as they're searching to find their purpose. There are others who advocate not going to the ends of the earth but rather kind of retreating into yourselves and searching deep within to Define your reason for being within, and that first is uh, just an expensive vacation in many cases, and the second is just a fool's uh, errand, because the scriptures are quite clear, aren't they, that your neighbors, your family members, you, me, uh, every single one of us, we were created for one reason, and that is to be a worshiper of God. Um, That is our purpose. So I can, you can save your people a lot of money, and uh, I can save you a lot of money and time today. Uh, they don't need to look high and far and wide. They just need to be willing to listen to what the Scriptures teach, uh, that we are to be those who offer living, conscious, faith-filled, passionate, whole life worship uh, unto the Lord. That's our reason for being. We're to do that with our lips, with our minds, with our hearts, with our souls, with our affections, uh, with, with our entire beings. All of life is to be lived unto the worship of God. I think if we look at that, we can say this is what we were created for. We could go to Romans 12, and where uh, Paul, in that transitional chapter in the book of Romans, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your lives as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Right? That this is your spiritual act of worship, he says. That this is what you are to be doing. Or we could go to 1 Corinthians 10, where... The Apostle Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We we were created for the purpose to worship. But but we could take it even a step further, couldn't we? And we could say we're not only created for worship, but you and I were recreated for worship. Uh, In the book of Ephesians, there at the very beginning, any good Presbyterian loves that opening chapter. And I remember uh, sitting at when I was a candidate under care, and I was sitting behind two men at my first uh, presbytery I'd ever gone to, and some candidate got up to to preach from Ephesians 1-4, and two older presbyters sitting in front of me leaned to each other, and the one said to the other, like, we've never heard this sermon before. Uh, good Presbyterian. Um, but Ephesians 1-12, uh, where the Apostle Paul says that Christians are those whom he has saved to the praise of his glory. 
That is, we were not only created for worship, but you and I were recreated to be worshipers. We were saved to the praise of His glory. But we could even take it one step further, couldn't we? Not only were we created to be worshipers, not only were we recreated to be worshipers, but we will be resurrected unto worship. This is what you and I will do for all of eternity. Revelation 22.3, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. will be resurrected unto worship. So as men and women and children are seeking their reason for being, we can say, look, you were created for worship, you are recreated for worship, you will be resurrected unto worship. This is your raison d'etre. This is why we are here. This is why we will always be before the Lord in glory and in heaven. So having said that, we could say that all of life is worship. But having said that, I think we also want to make it clear that though all of life is to be lived in worship, there are also, I think biblically, we can see three spheres of worship uh, within the Christian life. Um, And the first, I would argue, would be secret worship. In Joshua 1.8, we uh, have that command that we are to meditate upon the law day and night. And we see examples of it, uh, for instance, in Daniel 6, where Daniel is uh, willing to put his life in jeopardy and uh, in disobedience to the government, where he bows uh, every day in prayer and he worships the Lord. Uh, We need look no further than our Lord Jesus and His his example um, in Mark 1.35 and other places where we see that rising early in the morning while it was still dark, He departed and went out to a desolate place and there He prayed. Or in Matthew 6 on the Sermon on the Mount when our Lord Jesus says this, He says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. When you pray. It's taken for granted that God's people will pray. But when you pray, do this. Go into secret. I think most of our people, and uh, surely all of us in this room, are convinced that part of a life lived in worship unto the Lord is a life where we get away with the Lord behind a closed door and we spend time in prayer and reading the Scriptures and meditating upon His truth. The second would be the other end of the spectrum. If secret worship, as uh, the Puritans used to call it, or maybe as we called in our uh, day and age, uh, those, that devotional life, if that is one side, those daily quiet times is one side of the spectrum, then the other side of the spectrum is corporate worship. Uh, the people of God are also called to gather together in corporate worship. There is a corporate nature to our faith. And we can see this in the very language that is used for uh, the people of God uh, throughout uh, the Scriptures. And if we just even just look at the New Testament, uh, we are called the flock, Luke 12 and John 10 and 1 Peter 5. We are told, called the bride of Christ in Ephesians 5 and Revelation 19 and Revelation 21. We're called a temple. We are being built into a holy temple, Ephesians 2. We're called, of course, that the body of Christ, which may be uh, the most um, readily used term to refer to the church 
um, as a corporate entity in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 12. In Hebrews 10.25, we're told that we should not forsake meeting together. And if we look historically throughout the Scriptures, whether we are in the Old Testament when the people of God are at the foot of Mount Sinai or we go to the temples in, uh, in the synagogues or we go to the houses in Acts, God's people worship when they come together. This is what they do. We are worshipers. And so it makes sense that when we gather together, we worship. So we have this, this uh, secret worship and we have this corporate worship. I think the third, which is often neglected, I think most of our people are convinced of secret worship, the need for it, though they may not be practicing it. Um, and... Uh, most believe in corporate worship, though of course there's been an attack on that in the past uh, probably 10 years within evangelicalism, uh, that you don't need the church to gather with it. Um, so it's something we need to be concerned about and we need to be speaking to as pastors and elders. Uh, but that third sphere, that I would argue is uh, clearly in the scriptures, is family worship. And at least by my experience and uh, being with other people, it seems that uh, this is a sphere that has fallen on hard times, uh, has a long practice in the history of the church, uh, but it has fallen on hard times at least in the past couple of generations here uh, in the West, though uh, many of my Dutch friends would correct me and say uh, not in our culture, uh, but I think broadly in the evangelical culture we could say uh, that this is the case. Family worship uh, is nothing more than two or three Christians or whoever it is that belongs to this home and is under this roof gathering together for a time of worship together, hopefully daily, uh, where you read the scriptures, you pray together, and you dare to sing together uh, unto the Lord. This same means of grace that we would uh, use in the corporate setting and in that private setting, so we are using in that family setting. We're, we're gathering around the scriptures, we're reading, we're praying, and we're singing, and we're allowing those means of grace to um, be exercised in our home for our benefit and the benefit of our families. Jonathan Edwards said that uh, every family should, as it be, a little church, and, and I think that's right. Um, we're to gather together our people. And when God's people gather together, what do they do? They, they worship. See, in Deuteronomy 6, where we are to pass on this truth to our children, we're to teach them, we're to uh, teach them the Word and to teach them the precepts of God. We see in Psalm 78 that we are to pass on this truth to the following generation. Uh, just a, a glorious psalm. If, if you haven't read through that and thought through that, you know, where the psalmist uh, is Asaph is taking those first uh, what eight verses and kind of as a prologue and then uh, all the rest he is recounting everything that the Lord has done who God is and what he has done so he, he says in those first eight or so verses he says we will not hide these things from our children we will pass them on to the following generation and then what what is he passing on he, he's just passing on who God is and what God has done uh, the great story of all of history. I think sometimes we 
think that we are doing this, but without some regularity and structure, it's something we're actually seldom doing. Uh, we look back and realize that a week has gone by, two weeks has gone by, three weeks has gone by, and, and we really haven't in our homes uh, maybe spoken as much about who God is and what He has done as we thought we had. Um, and that regularity and that consistency and that structure of family worship uh, every day or uh, like in my house is probably about five days a week. Um, it, it provides that consistency um, of speaking of who God is, of what He has done, and worshiping Him. There are a lot of benefits to family worship. Uh, let me give you some of the benefits uh, for the home. One, it centers the home. Uh, we begin to see our wives, our husbands, our children begin to see that worshiping the Lord is central. It's at the very center of what we are as a family together. Um, and there is no greater encouragement, I think, to our children than that. Um, think about my children. I, I was, there was a woman I was speaking to uh, one day that, uh, that I was pastoring and and she was talking about her daughter and she said, I just want to prepare her to be a good citizen to go out into the world. I thought, it's a good aim. Uh, that's, that's a good thing to aim at. Uh, but it's not complete. That's not enough for us. We're not just preparing good citizens to go out into the world. We are preparing our children to be Christian citizens going out into the world and to be fully functioning adults. Um, and, and by God's grace, we want to bring these means of grace uh, and put them in the way of the means of grace as often as we can and as readily as we can. Um, that's my, one of my goals as a parent. Um, when my children leave the home, they... They may say, well, my daddy, uh, he wasn't perfect. My mom, she wasn't perfect. They were uh, sinners that uh, we saw their sin an awful lot. But one thing we knew is that they loved the Lord and they wanted us to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think our children and even ourselves, that this daily practice of family worship, it centers our home upon the Lord uh, in a very unique and a very consistent way that Frankly, I don't think anything else can uh, because we're meeting together every day to read the Word, to pray, and to sing, and to give worship to God. Second, it encourages Christian character. Uh, as uh, you read through the Scriptures and as you meditate them, on them together as a family, uh, it just begins to encourage Christian character uh, in the home. Uh, I was the other day, I was upset about my lawnmower it broke on me again, and uh, I was complaining. And my six-year-old son, uh, a budding theologian, uh, said, Daddy, you need to give thanksgiving and not complain. Um, he was right. Uh, wanted to, well, I don't want to tell you what I wanted to do, but he was right. Um, it encourages Christian character in the home. Uh, it also helps to establish peace in the home. Uh, it, it is very hard 
to come together as a family in worship uh, if there is conflict that is unresolved, if there is sin that has not been confessed, if there is sin that hasn't been forgiven. Uh, There was a woman that I ministered to, her and her husband, for years in constant conflict in the home. Uh, She would admittedly say that uh, she was very harsh with her husband, was very judgmental uh, about him. Uh, And they started practicing family worship. And she said it drastically changed their marriage. Because it was very hard to criticize him throughout the day and then to sit down and think we're going to read the Bible together, pray together, and we're going to sing together and have communion with each other as we enjoy communion with the Lord when there was all this angst and all this bitterness. And it led her to reassess her role in the marriage and uh, to begin to ask for his forgiveness before they would get together and give him the opportunity to grant forgiveness. Uh, there's an incredible peace that can be uh, encouraged in the home through family worship. Another is that it binds the family together. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things, a lot of great things that we can do with our families. That uh, I say, uh, I, I love. Uh, I'm I'm the cook in our home. I'm the chef. My wife hates to cook. I love to cook, so it works out well. Uh, We, I think, have three channels that we get on our TV at home, and one of them is PBS, which is greatness for uh, watching Julia Childs. And uh, my kids and I, we love to sit down and watch Julia Childs and mock her goofy voice and uh, watch cooking together. And... uh, I love it. It's, it's wonderful times of cuddling on the bed and watching cooking together and creating memories. Uh, love uh, riding bikes with my kids, uh, playing outside. Uh, love going on walks with my wife and sitting down and having uh, good conversations. Uh, there are all kinds of things uh, that bind a family together. But I don't know if there's anything that can bind a family together like meeting together daily for family worship. Uh, It binds you together in a lot of different ways. It it binds you together in Christ, uh, upon Christ, upon the truth that you're studying. It binds you together in a common knowledge. You have things to talk about that you're experiencing together every day as you're hashing through. Um, It's fun. Uh, I do the grocery shopping on Monday mornings and uh, take my son and daughter, and it's fascinating how often our conversation going through the grocery store is about something we read in family worship. Uh, it, it binds us together in a way that I think few other things can. Uh, it passes on the faith. Uh, there is, and I would say this uh, pretty unilaterally, there is no better way to pass on the faith than practicing daily family worship with your family. Uh, Of course, we all believe in the efficacy of the preached word on Sunday morning and um, the efficacy of our children grabbing their Bibles and reading in their rooms. Uh, But having mom and dad meet with them daily and before the Lord daily, uh, saying this is not only what we believe and practice on Sunday morning, but this is at the very center and core of our lives. And so it's going to center, make our home, this is going to be the central thing in our home, and this is what we are going to do together 
as a family daily, uh, it shows our children that this is, this is not a compartmentalized faith. This is something that we see as essential, um, that is uh, our reason for being, and that it's important. And uh, they grab a hold of that. I'll say one thing, but I, don't miss that, because I think uh, for our people, a lot of times they think, well, they, get, they have a wonderful, all of you in this room, probably wonderful and godly and good pastors and elders. And they think, well, I got a good godly pastor that's preaching each week, and they have a good Sunday school teacher, and they have a good elder that cares for them. Uh, but parents are going to make the biggest impact upon their children. Um, our parents, at a young age, at a young age, maybe not as they get older, but they do want to please mom and dad, and they, they do gravitate towards what mom and dad gravitate towards. Uh, if my son, who's a little bit of a contrarian, my mom says it's, uh, it's justice. Uh, but, uh, you know, if I can turn on a football game and my Chicago Bears are on, he always wants to know who they're playing, and then he says he's rooting for them, the other team. <laughs> and, uh, but, but he values football because I value it. He's not watching tennis because I don't care about tennis, right? But, but he likes football, or at least he'll sit there and he'll watch it and at least have a rooting interest, though it's opposed to me, because he knows that I love football. Um, centering our homes upon Christ and doing this daily and showing them that this is one of our top priorities in life uh, is one of the things that is most beneficial to them. <coughs> uh, lastly, uh, benefit for the home is it reinforces spiritual headship. As a father, or if it's a single mother, um, gathers together that uh, family each day, whether it's wife and children or uh, just children, uh, reinforces that they are to look to that head of the family as their spiritual head. And there are incredible benefits to that. That's, uh, I think you all know. Some benefits for the local church. Uh, all three of these spheres inform one another. So as I think about the church gathering together in corporate worship, uh, if our families are practicing secret worship, and if they're practicing family worship, that influences them in corporate worship. They benefit one another. If I'm not, we all know this, if we aren't spending quiet time with the Lord, if we aren't getting away with Him and spending time in His Word and wrestling through things individually and privately, it affects our corporate worship. It diminishes it. And in the same way, I think family worship, it encourages corporate worship, it encourages secret worship. Uh, the truth of God's Word, uh, I understand it more fully, or it impresses upon me more, or um, I have been convicted of sin in my family worship or secret worship, and, uh, and that grace that I am hearing on Sunday morning preached from the pulpit uh, becomes that much more sweet to my ears and to my heart and to my soul. Uh, all of these inform one another. So, so we want to have, uh, we want there to be strength in each of them, and each of them are being practiced uh, as they give encouragement to the others. Uh, second, uh, 
it helps to reinforce that the church is coming alongside of parents rather than taking the place of parents. Uh, that we can say to our people, look, what you're doing together as a family uh, in your homes and uh, what you're doing to reinforce the truths of the scriptures to your children, what we're doing in Sunday school with them, what we're doing in VBS with them, what we're doing uh, in the nursery with them is just coming alongside what you are already doing day in and day out at home. And it just reinforces that. Third, it trains uh, men to lead. Uh, Family worship has incredible benefits for the future leadership of your church. Uh, Right? One of the requirements for an elder is that he manages his own household well. And I think as as a man is gathering his family together each day and he's reading the scriptures to them, Maybe he's doing a short little three-minute teaching of the Scriptures to them. He's praying out loud with his family. Uh, He's learning what discipleship looks like, um, the hard things of shepherding as he's gathering his family together each night, uh, confessing his own sins before his family for just having yelled at his child or uh, not being as loving to his wife as he could have that day. Uh, This helps. Uh, to prepare elders and deacons uh, for your church. Uh, These men will be that much more seasoned, uh, that much more trained, uh, that much more, frankly, qualified. It also gives uh, knowledge uh, to the congregation uh, uh, of the Scriptures that that is only increasing. Uh, Think about a family that is reading the Scriptures together daily, and these individuals of the family are also reading them privately, and then when they're gathering together on Sunday morning, uh, they have a greater knowledge base as they hear the Word of God preached from the pulpit. It helps uh, relieve many pastoral issues. Uh, I think uh, we as elders and pastors, a lot of times we are reactive in our shepherding. Uh, We are running from hard case to hard case, uh, and It's helpful also to think about being proactive in our shepherding. Um, One of the ways to do that is to encourage family worship in uh, the families of your church uh, because you are uh, encouraging them in uh, in seeking the Lord daily. Uh, It is requiring them to, uh, to look at their own individual lives and their lives together as a family. Um, and it, a lot of your pastoral issues and my pastoral issues uh, can be uh, curtailed um, by them practicing family worship at home, or at least it lays down some of the, the seedbed for that. And lastly, uh, and this may be moot, but I think about it a lot uh, when I'm in a church, uh, it includes it encourages more vibrant singing uh, in your congregations. Uh, If your people are singing these hymns and songs and spiritual songs at home, uh, it just encourages more vibrant singing when you're gathered together. Uh, I think it encourages more vibrant prayer as you're praying together as a congregation. Uh, It encourages uh, deeper desire for the deep things of Scripture uh, because hopefully they have moved on beyond milk. Uh, as they are just growing in their faith, uh, practicing this together as a family, uh, week in and week out, along with 
that private worship and corporate worship. So let me uh, now just move to advice for pastors and elders and uh, get to uh, some of the practicalities and then hopefully we'll have some time for questions. First, I would say teach it. Um, You need to provide forums uh, in your church for teaching about family worship. Sunday school class, uh, parent retreats. um, This should be one of the things that you emphasize at a parent retreat. Uh, If you're doing a marriage retreat, uh, this should be something you're emphasizing at a marriage retreat. Uh, When you are doing officer training, uh, this should be one of the things that is in your officer training, that you want your elders and deacons to be practicing family worship at home. Uh, I think most of you know in the uh, Westminster Divines, they saw this as a disciplinable offense in the directory of worship if you didn't practice daily family worship. Um, so at least we should be encouraging it in our officer training. I think in your staff training, when you're getting together as pastors or uh, getting together with that youth worker, uh, you encourage it and teach it. And say in your membership classes, um, you know, a lot of times we have the theology and the doctrine uh, at the forefront and at the end of those membership classes we begin speaking about practical things, serving in the church, using your spiritual gifts. Um, this should be one of the things that we're covering uh, in membership classes is that we want to encourage families uh, to worship at home and teach them what it is and what it looks like. Second, preach it. Uh, there are few things that encourage God's people to... Uh, sorry, I'm not quite sure what's happening here. Um, there are a few things that encourage God's people as, uh, as emphasizing and uh, preaching it to them. Uh, that authority that comes with that, the effectualness that comes with that. Uh, I think you can do this different ways. Uh, a little hard just to preach a sermon on family worship. Uh, done it. I think you can do a, an expository sermon on that, taking something like Psalm 78. Uh, but I would say a lot of times it's just caught. Uh, use it in illustrations. Uh, got to be careful with that. And take off my coat. Maybe that'll help. Um, use it in illustrations to speak about uh, different things. Uh, just show them that you're practicing it in that way. I think, again, you have to be careful uh, with it, uh, that you're not pointing at yourself or at your family as uh, having arrived, but uh, it's often caught that way. Third, model it. Uh, invite families over to your homes. Uh, When you invite them over, uh, you have dinner together, uh, you sit down afterwards together uh, after dinner and say, would you move to the the, uh, living room with us and uh, we're just going to read the Bible together and pray together uh, for five minutes, ten minutes. And just model it and invite different families over and cycle them through and model it in that way. Don't make it complex, just do it and and show them as you're modeling it. I think a lot of times pastors and elders are afraid to do this because their children, they're wrestling on the couch and uh, their wife wants to get the dishes done and uh, you've got children to get to bed and uh, children are squirming and uh, it's okay. Show them it's not perfect. It's not perfect in your house and it doesn't need to be perfect in their house. Um, and demonstrate that to them. Say, encourage your elders and your deacons in that way to model it as well. Uh, Ask them to do this 
within their shepherding groups or however you have your church structure. Disciple it. Uh, Take younger couples and families and as you're discipling those young men in the church, uh, disciple them in this. Uh, Many men, I find, often the inhibition is that they are just scared. They're just scared to lead in this way. Usually for a couple reasons. One is they feel like the rest of their family will just detest doing this, and they'll be always they'll always have to be dragging them into it. Um, another is is that they often are afraid of uh, teaching the Bible. They think I I don't know enough to teach it. Um, and the third is, and you'd be shocked, um, but. It, We've been going around and speaking at a few different churches about this, and the men come up afterwards. They're scared to pray. And the idea of praying in front of their family, or their family looking to them in prayer, um, is incredibly intimidating. Let's say with those things, uh, you you take these young men, these young families, or uh, even older men, and and you begin meeting with them and discipling them in these things. just pray short prayers together and teach them how simple it is to pray. So, you know, we're going to go around the circle and we're just going to pray one minute. Each of us pray one thing for the person on your left, something that, that they need prayer for. That's it. And just begin and ratchet it up over time and, and just teach them how easy and natural prayer should be for the Christian, as we are children of God and just crying out to Him and, and speaking with our Heavenly Father. Um, the Scriptures, uh, start with those young men and, and tell me, you don't, you don't need to teach. Just, just start reading. Just read a, a short section of the Scriptures with your family. But don't stop there. You want to encourage them that down the road as they're growing, that Maybe they pick up a study Bible and start there, an ESV study Bible or something, and uh, read the, the note on that section. and say, Spend two minutes explaining that passage you just read to your family. But, but start them off slow and show them that this is not something they need to be intimidated by, but is rather incredibly simple. Incredibly simple and yet eternal benefits. And just begin slow with them. To ask other families in your church to reach out in this way. We have a wonderful uh, family in our church that I think this is just this just tends to be their ministry. That they, they invite families over uh, to get to know them, and they they do family worship each night, and so they invite families to join them. I, I can't tell you how many families in our church have made a comment to me about sitting in on that family's worship. The first time I ever saw family worship was this same thing. I was candidating uh, a church that would take my first call. See you back there, Dan, um, in uh, North Carolina. And I was uh, staying with a family there uh, and was in their basement, the Hawkins. And uh, Tom, uh, the father, invited me up, said, after dinner, he said, why don't you come up? We're just, we're going to worship together. I had never seen it. And... Uh, my wife and I sat there with uh, his family, and I think they had you know, five kids at the time, and seeing them all sitting on each other's laps, and, and I thought, this is amazing. That's what encouraged me to practice family worship. My wife and I 
like most of us, early in marriage, we'd started out trying to do uh, worship together. We called it devotions, and it was a miserable failure. And uh, I, I was too zealous. Uh, she was too scared of my zeal, and uh, it did not work well. And uh, when I then saw this family practicing it like that, I said, that, it's that simple. That's all it is. It's that simple. And I made it far too complex. So encourage families in your church to, to disciple others in it. The biggest, I would say, is encourage your people. Just remind them that this is a means of grace. This isn't to be a weight upon their shoulders. This isn't just something else that they need to do. Rather, it's something that we get to do in response to God's grace to us. So I encourage them over and over and over that this is just this is a means of grace. Gathering together with your family around the scriptures and praying and singing, it, it's a means of grace. It, this isn't meant to be a weight. Because what happens to a lot of us is that we begin doing something like family worship and we're incredibly zealous and and we go on for about a week and then a week and a half and then there's a soccer game and then there's a ballet and then there's tiredness and it's been three days, four days, and it feels like we've got to start this whole thing over again. And you've got to crank that wheel again. And you just feel defeated. And you don't want to start this whole thing over again. And as I tell families, and as I tell my own family, we're not starting some big thing over again. Just pick it right back up. Just open the Bible again and pray. To it's a means of grace. It's not meant to be this weight upon your shoulders. And your people need to constantly, constantly hear that. Um, one of the ways to encourage them that, uh, to make it a means of grace uh, in their own lives, to realize that uh, it is, but to realize that is just to, to keep it brief. Uh, a lot of especially uh, young men uh, get really excited about this and they decide we're going to hash through the book of Leviticus in like two weeks, right? And... Uh, just to be brief. Start off slow, right? Read a proverb if that's where you want to start. Uh, in my family, uh, uh, I have small children, uh, six years old and uh, almost nine years old. And what works in our family right now is the narrative portions of Scripture especially because they can dive into the stories, right? So they can dive in and so we'll, we'll read a, a section of a narrative story. So right now we're working our way through, uh, um, uh, what did we just finish? We just finished the jo Joseph story in Genesis. So we went through Genesis 37 through 50 and, and read the, the Joseph account. And this is something they can dive into, that they can understand, that they can, they can begin to dream about, and they, they can see, and um, that works. So tell families, just, just find what, what works for your family in the season that it's in, if you're just starting, be brief. Make it the same time, the same place, so that everyone knows what's happening. Uh, my kids, when they were little, uh, Grayson, we started with her when she was uh, three years old, and she knew that after dinner, when we moved on to the couch in the family room, that we were there for family worship, and because that's what we did each night, same place, and she knew what to expect, and she would climb up onto the couch in between the two of us and she knew that's why we were there. Uh, 
consistency in, in time and place and briefness uh, is incredibly helpful as you're starting out. Advice. Uh, advise your people about how to do it. Uh, as I've spoken at some different churches and at some different retreats on this, uh, there are a lot of just incredibly practical questions that your people have about how to do this. Don't miss that. We're good, good PCA uh, men, and so we want to make the theological and doctrinal argument and say, now go do it. And your, your, your people have a lot of very practical questions. Uh, some of the most common are, I have children of different ages, so how do we do this? Um, how does it work when I have a three-year-old and a seven-year-old and a 13-year-old? Um, Tell those families, uh, that first family, one of the first things that stuck out to me that when they introduced me to family worship was how they did it because they had different age children. And they had the older children uh, sit there and they would have the younger children sit on the older children's laps and the older children would hold the Bibles and then point through it for the younger children. And they'd do that with the hymnal. Well, what were they doing? They were giving responsibility to the older children, which the older children like to have. Everybody likes to be Lord of somebody, right? You're in charge of this kid tonight. And and it was important. That that was their role. Uh, The the younger children felt secure and they knew to be still because they were on somebody's lap. um, I think uh, teaching uh, or what you're reading, uh, you have to understand that if you have these younger and older children, then you gear it a little different. So if you're got this varied age family, then uh, you read a short passage of Scripture because you have young children. But ask questions, have a question or two that is geared at the older children. Right? With my two kids, there's enough in the age range uh, that I can ask my son. I ask him very simple questions. Tell me, what was that passage about? Tell me something you heard. And that's what he does. Whereas my daughter, who's a little older, my question to her um, on certain nights will be, uh, Grayson, what, what, I'm trying to think of something that I've asked her recently, um, how did this passage point you to Christ? Right, where do you see Christ in this passage? Well, that's a higher level of thinking for her. And it's not something where, uh, we're laying out questions for everyone for a half hour, but just one to each so that they can interact with it on their level. Uh, things like that. Um, a lot of people ask, well, we have very young children. Uh, they won't understand it. They, they won't comprehend. Say, Look, it's a means of grace. Your, your kids aren't going to catch everything. Uh, but you, you don't know what seeds are being planted uh, by reading the Scriptures with them. Uh, Never know. Some of the things that, that come out of my kids' mouths that I thought, where did, I mean, where did that come from? Uh, things that I don't know how they grabbed a hold of, but they did while uh, we were praying or while we were doing family worship. Uh, families with young children uh, would encourage you just to, to give them assignments. Uh, that My kids, uh, my daughter, when she was young, always wanted to get the hymnal down. That, that was her job. And she looked forward, as goofy as it is, looked forward to family worship because she got to get the hymnals and pass them out to everybody. Made it a big deal to her. 
my son, still at six, because he's a little general, he wants to give the order of who's going to pray, right? So every night it's a big to-do. Daddy, can I tell who gets to pray first? And then who's second? Who's third? So on a night that my daughter acquiesces, my son will do it, and whatever it is the first time around, you have to wait for 30 seconds because he's going to change it. And it's Daddy's going to pray, and then I'm going to pray. And the mo- He just loves that. That's what he looks forward to in family worship. Uh, give them little jobs that they enjoy, that they look forward to. A lot of families with older children will say, well, we have older children and we haven't practiced it. Uh, how do we go about it? Uh, encourage them to be very sensitive with those older teenagers. Uh, so, well, they'll complain, they'll gripe, that they won't want to do it at this point. Uh, frankly, you're the parent. And... Uh, this is in their best interest. Uh, but you can do it in a way that uh, doesn't make it um, as hard as it has to be with them. Uh, so ask them to choose what you're going to read together. Uh, entertain things that, that they're wrestling with. That, what, what are the apologetic issues? Or what are the issues of faith that they have questions about? Well, read in those areas. Read scriptures that are related to that. Um, allow them to ask questions, all kinds of questions. You, you, so I tell parents, you don't have to have all the answers. A lot of times with teenagers, they, they just want to lay out all the questions. Um, but be willing to listen. And family worship provides that, that forum. And then you choose where you weigh in and where you give them feedback on trying to answer some of those questions that they have that are burning uh, there are a bunch of others uh, that we could do. Uh, people will say, uh, I'll just give you a couple of other ones uh, so we have some time here to interact with your questions. Uh, one is, I have an unbelieving spouse or I have a Christian husband or wife that's not on board, that doesn't want to do this. Um, encourage uh, spouses to uh, to be respectful, to honor, um, to be loving in how they go about it. Uh, encourage them to say, you know, go to your spouse and tell them that you would just like to uh, let them know that you want to practice family worship together. Uh, if they don't have an interest in it, um, that's fine. You don't keep uh, prodding them. Uh, but let them know that each night you're going to be on the couch at such and such a time, at 6 o'clock. And you're going to open the Bible and you're going to pray and uh, you want them to join you some night when they feel more comfortable doing so. And then you consistently do it. Uh, And you pray that God would encourage them and influence them to join you. Uh, If it's an unbelieving spouse, you be very careful. Uh, Don't ask them to pray or require them to pray. Uh, Make it a comfortable setting for them uh, to read the scriptures with them and to pray and Make it brief. Um, encouragements like that. A lot of people ask, what about reading children's Bibles? My, my kids can't understand the real Bible, um, so let, let's get out children's Bibles. And So there, there's a lot of wonderful children's Bibles. Uh, I think uh, Christian Focus puts together some of the best ones. Um, good things to read. So there's a lot of things that we could supplement in family worship. You can do catechism. Uh, my family right now, we're reading through Pilgrim's Progress because my kids just love that. 
Um, I was telling somebody today, because I just had this thought, one of you needs to do this. Someone needs to make that into a board game. Pilgrim's Progress board game? It is? Oh, man, I thought it was a good idea. It is a good idea, but... Um, but I would say children's Bibles, uh, that's supplemental. Uh, we want to we read the scriptures with our children. We want to show them that they don't need to be intimidated by this, this big yeah. book, um, but that they can understand it. And, and it is a means of grace. And so uh, we want to read that um, and we want to get them familiar with that. Uh, and we can, of course... You know, even uh, as you're reading through the Joseph narrative, you could open up a children's Bible right after you read a short section and read it from the children's Bible uh, a second time. This would encourage that. Uh, just a couple other things. Uh, emphasize, uh, emphasize family worship. Don't over-program your church. Uh, say over and over to the church that this is a priority. Uh, so they don't have to be involved in everything at your church. In fact, they shouldn't be. Um, we want to encourage our people not just to be Sunday attenders. Uh, they should be heavily involved and engaged in the church. Uh, but, but we want families worshiping together at home as well. So if they're involved in everything that's going on at your church every night of the week, there's a problem. Um, and so as elders and pastors, we need to make sure that we're not over-programming our churches and that we're not encouraging our, our families to attend everything if we have all kinds of things. Um, they need time to be at home with their families. Having said that, though, there is also, it seems to me, a stream in this kind of revival of family worship and other things in our uh, Christian culture, evangelicalist culture, that we want to encourage these families that they do need to be engaged with the church. And we want families that are worshiping, but we don't want to worship families. And so we need to be careful as we're encouraging them along these uh, routes. Uh, last two, provide uh, provide weekly family worship bulletins. Uh, at my last church, uh, I would write up a weekly family insert bulletin each week in the bulletin. It's very simple. Monday, read this chapter. Pray this prayer. Um, well, it would be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I would have the chapter that they read. Then there would be a prayer. Pray for these things this week. And here's the hymn that we're all going to sing in our family worship at home each week. That's it. Very simple. But gave them a rubric to start with. Uh, some of the families use that every week. Uh, other families, they started using that, didn't like it, and moved to their own thing. But it gave them something to start with and to see each week. So do something like that. Provide music to your people. Create CDs with uh, your pianist uh, playing the music on a CD because uh, people are intimidated to sing at home especially if they don't know how to play musical instruments because they can't drown out their voice. Point them to websites uh, that have hymns and songs on them, cyberhymnal.org or the RUF hymn book uh, site or all kinds of sites. I mean, the day and age we live in, people don't have to just sing a cappella at home if they don't know an instrument. Um, so equip your people with what is out there. And then lastly, uh, Encourage them again. Just keep encouraging them. The greatest secret, I think, to family worship is just to persevere in it. That's the greatest secret. Because uh, it is easy to start. Uh, it's incredibly easy to do. There's nothing to it. But persevering in it is the great challenge. And so you just need to keep encouraging your people. Persevere in it. Persevere. P pick it right back up. You, you, you forget... 
You haven't been doing it for a week? Okay, you haven't been doing it for two weeks? Pick it right back up. Just pick it right back up. It's a means of grace to you. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They're free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.